Welcome to the first season of Murder and 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder and 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Washington, D.C. has a large share of the United States millionaires, thanks in part to politicians that call the country's capital home. But there's plenty of millionaires that also have made their fortune in business, and one of those, Busava Savalopoulos. Born in Chevrolet, Maryland in 1968, he grew up with his parents and sister. The Washington Post reported that he received a Bachelor of Arts degree and a law degree. Amy Martin was born 400 miles away in Brighton, Massachusetts, also in 1968, and grew up with her younger brother and parents in a military family. They lived in Germany and throughout the United States. She obtained a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics and worked in accounting. The couple married in 1994 and had two daughters, Abigail and Katerina, and son Philip, known as Flip. Savas was passionate about the arts, opera, and photography. Amy enjoyed tennis and golf and volunteered with the children's schools. Together, her and Savas enjoyed traveling, boating, were philanthropists and active with numerous charities. Savas was the CEO of Sigma Investment Strategies and American Ironworks, a construction supply company that he owned along with his father. Financially, the family was doing well. The girls went to out-of-state boarding school and Amy wrote them every week. Flip attended fourth grade at a local prestigious all-boys school and was very intelligent. He loved baseball and the bat that his grandfather had given him, engraved with his name. At a young age, he knew he wanted to be a Formula One race car driver and was already a member of a karting racing team where young people start their careers. The family lived in a $4.5 million home in the exclusive Woodley Park neighborhood in Washington, D.C. and owned a vacation home in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Memorial Day weekend was coming up, and the Savalopuses were planning a trip away and had a reservation to board their dogs at a pet resort. In Savas's free time, he practiced martial arts and had a collection of samurai swords in his home. He was also about to realize his dream of opening up a Japanese martial arts studio. His personal assistant, Jordan Wallace, was helping him get the studio ready for his upcoming grand opening. Nellie Gutierrez had worked for the family for 20 years, along with Vera Alicia Figueroa, who had been there for four years. Vera grew up poor in El Salvador and wanting a better life moved to the United States. She, along with Nellie, worked as housekeepers for the family and helped with the children. Darren Wint was born and raised in Guyana. After high school, he immigrated to the U.S. and settled in Washington. He had two younger brothers, Stefan, who was a full brother, and Daryl, a half-brother. 
He lived off and on with his father and stepmother. He was often in trouble and in 2008 was convicted of a misdemeanor. The Baltimore Sun reported that he had faced charges of domestic violence, theft, and assault, and that in some cases he was found not guilty, and in others, prosecutors didn't pursue the cases. Court records indicated that in 2010, after going to a nightclub with a woman, he threatened to kill her and her young daughter and bragged about being good with a knife and not afraid of the police. He later broke into her apartment and stole her TV and vandalized her car. Darren became a welder and worked at American Iron Works for two years from 2003 to 2005, but then, nine years later, he was 34, unemployed, broke, and desperate. Darren was a prolific user of Facebook, using it as his main source of communication, including chatting with his fiancée Vanessa Hales in New York City. On Wednesday, May 13, 2015, the Cephalopoulos' family had no idea just how dangerous their day would become. That morning, when Darren's stepmother woke up at 7 a.m., he had already left the house. Darren didn't log into Facebook that day and turned off his cell phone. Abigail and Katerina were away at school, but Flip was sick and stayed home. Vera was home with him and so was Amy. At 9.30 a.m., Amy took Flip to a doctor's appointment. Now, no one knows for sure exactly what time the next events took place, but court records indicate that prosecutors believe Amy was back home at 11.20 a.m. when her cell phone pinged off a tower near their home, and that sometime in the next four hours, Darren cut the phone line and pried open a basement window and propped it open with a knife. Darren managed to restrain Amy, Vera, and Flip. At 12.29 p.m., a teacher from Flip's school texted Amy. She didn't answer. At 3.14 p.m., the pet resort called the landline at the house, but it had been disconnected. At 4.18 p.m., they called Amy's cell phone. Then, at 5.30 p.m., Amy returned their call. An employee who was familiar with her voice thought she sounded different. At some point, Amy called Savas and asked him to come home early from work. Savas had told Nellie earlier that Amy had plans to go out, but that night she received a voicemail from him saying that Amy was sick in bed and that Flip was home recovering from a concussion and that Vera would be staying overnight. She noticed that his voice sounded tense and Vera had never stayed overnight before. So she called Amy to see if she was okay, but Amy didn't answer. Sometime Wednesday evening, Savas was coerced into calling American Ironworks and his bank and made arrangements to withdraw $40,000 in $100 bills. He then texted Jordan with instructions to meet the accountant the next morning to pick up the money. Around 9.15 p.m., Amy phoned a pizza restaurant and ordered two pizzas and paid for it with a credit card. 
She instructed them that her son was sick and that she wouldn't be answering the door and to leave the pizzas on the doorstep. Darren ate the soft part but threw a partial eaten crust back into one of the boxes. It's thought that Flip was restrained in his upstairs bedroom. Darren used duct tape to tie the three adults to chairs in another upstairs bedroom. Darren held the three adults and one child hostage throughout the night. At 10 a.m. the next morning, Amy texted Nellie, I am making sure you do not come today. She also cancelled the technician that was supposed to work on the sprinkler system. Vera's husband Bernardo stopped by the house looking for her and knocked on the door. There was no answer. Not long after, Savas called Bernardo to say that Amy had become sick and that they'd taken her to the hospital and that Vera was with them. The chief financial officer from his company and his assistant Jordan went to the bank to pick up the ransom money. Savas told Jordan that the garage door would be open and that he was to put the money inside one of the cars in the garage. He also told him not to knock because he was on a conference call. Jordan did as he was instructed and at 10.26 a.m. texted him to say, that the money was delivered. Savas didn't text him back. After Darren got the money, he set out to eliminate the witnesses. Blood splattered the walls as he used two of Flip's bats to beat them. Savas was hit hard on the rear of his head. Amy was beat around the head and throat. Vera beat as well. Then he tossed the bloody bats aside and used a samurai sword to stab all four. When he finished, he tossed it in the bathroom. Amy appeared to be dead. He strangled Savas and Vera. Then he went to Flip's room and stabbed him. With his little body laying on the bed, he poured gasoline on it and lit a match. WTOP News reported that a neighbor was walking his dog when he smelled smoke. He heard a boom, then saw fire coming from the second floor. Another man knocked on the door. Fire engines raced toward the burning house. Firefighters broke down the door and used two ladder trucks to get to the roof. They found the bodies of three adults and carried them out on stretchers. Medics performed CPR. Savas and Amy were dead. Vera was barely alive. They rushed her to the hospital, but she too died. Savas was 46. Amy, 47. Little Flip, 10. And Vera, 57. The second floor of the house was damaged by the fire, but it did not burn to the ground. Darren and the money were long gone. He grabbed one of the green construction vests hanging in the home, stole the keys to Amy's blue Porsche parked in the garage, and hopped behind the steering wheel. 
His erratic driving caught the eye of a witness who noticed the green vest. Darren drove to a church parking lot only two miles from his parents. At 5 p.m., an employee leaving work from a nearby business noticed Darren pacing back and forth. When no one was around, he poured gasoline on the car and lit another match. But it didn't burn to the ground either. He didn't know it, but he left evidence behind. DNA that would tie him to their murders. Darren then returned home. His mother recalled seeing him at 6 p.m. that night, and his fiancée Vanessa had left him several Facebook messages over the last two days, and he finally messaged her back. That night, video surveillance captured Darren and his brother Daryl at a Walmart in Landover Hills in Prince George's County, once at 10.30 p.m., and then again at 11.26 p.m. The next night, Darren's brother-in-law, Godfrey Ailing, picked him up at his father's house to go to the gym. Darren flashed 12 $100 bills and told him that he'd won the lottery. Two days after he murdered the family, Darren paid an immigration lawyer $1,100 in cash as a retainer. The next day, he fled to his fiancée Vanessa's in New York. He lavished her with gifts and an expensive dinner and flashed several $100 bills, telling her that he'd won the lottery. Forensic investigators quickly ran DNA testing on the knife handle found in the basement window and traced it to Darren. And in an interesting twist, who knew they could retrieve DNA from food? I didn't. Forensic testing was done on the partially eaten crust found discarded in the pizza box. One swab was done on the side that had been bitten into, and a second swab done on the side where it was held on to. The DNA results came back to Darren, whose profile was already in the National DNA Database. Police swiftly learned about his previous work history at Savas Company and knew this was not a random crime. Authorities offered a $25,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Darren. They believed he was armed and hiding in New York City. At a news conference, the police chief described him as 5'7", 155 pounds with black dreadlocks. He was last seen wearing a blue hooded sweatshirt, blue jeans, and white tennis shoes. It had been a week since the grisly murders, and over 50 police officers from various agencies were involved in the manhunt. On Wednesday, Vanessa and Darren were watching the news when they saw a report about the murders, and a photo of Darren flashed across the TV. They spent the night in a hotel, and the next day, she took him to a taxi stand where he paid a cab driver $8,000 in cash to take him back to Washington so that he could surrender. Then his fiancée called the New York Police Department to tell them, Police just missed Darren. Meanwhile, Daryl had asked two female friends to help him get some money orders, on the premise, it was for a friend that needed a lawyer. He handed them $2,800 in $100 bills. 
Afterwards, the three of them drove to a hotel and met up with Darren. The police were able to trace Darren to the Howard Johnson Hotel in College Park, Maryland. Investigators were trying to determine which room he was in when Darren left the hotel. He joined the two women in the car and his brother hopped into a white moving truck. Police didn't want to take them down in a busy parking lot, so they followed them and called the Prince George's County Police and requested a helicopter. It was in the air within five minutes. Police followed the two vehicles as they entered Washington, then pulled them over. Police were ready for anything, but surprisingly, none of the six put up a fight. Darren remained stoic when he was arrested. He was charged with a single count of first-degree murder for Savas's death. Police felt strongly that there was more than one murderer. In the vehicles, police found the three money orders, and in the truck, they found 73 $100 bills, the same denomination that had been withdrawn from Savas's bank account. Daryl also had $300 tucked away in his sock, and told police that Darren had given him the money. On Darren's phone, investigators found that he had searched the internet for things like 10 hideout cities for fugitives, 5 countries with no U.S. extradition treaty, and how to beat a lie detector test. Investigators checked with lottery officials and confirmed that Darren had not won the lottery. The medical examiner determined that all victims suffered stab wounds. Savas and Veer's cause of death was blunt force trauma and strangulation. Amy died of both blunt force and knife wounds. Little Flip's cause of death was stab wounds and thermal injuries, which meant that he was still alive when the fire was set. The DNA evidence was pouring in. DNA found on the vest in Amy's car was a match to her husband, to Darren, and to one other identified person. Hairs found on a hard hat in the garage and on bedding near Flip's body were also a match to Darren. However, the hair match would also match Darren's maternal sibling, Stefan. In July 2015, Darren appeared in court. He wore an orange prison-issued jumpsuit, his hands bound in cuffs, and his legs were shackled. A judge determined that the DNA and other evidence was enough for probable cause, and Darren was held without bail. In February 2016, Darren faced additional charges, three separate murder charges for each victim, kidnapping, theft, extortion, arson, and burglary for a total of 20 felony charges. It took three years for investigators and the prosecution to build their case. Investigators always felt that he hadn't committed their murders alone, and a week before the trial was to begin, a judge ruled that there was enough evidence to prove that there could be a second suspect. Then, the defense lawyer dropped a bombshell, that they had evidence to prove there was a second suspect. On the opening day of Darren's trial in mid-September 2018, his defense lawyer weaved an elaborate story 
that Darren's brother Daryl was the mastermind and that his brother Stefan had committed the murders. He claimed that they wore gloves so that they didn't leave DNA at the scene and that they were at the house when they invited Darren to stop by and that he was only on the first floor and didn't see the family. He ate a piece of pizza, then left. The prosecution showed the jury photos of the burned bedrooms. Flip's room showed signs of a flashover, which meant that everything in the room had gotten so hot. The walls were black and the beams exposed. The furniture reduced to charred rubble. Darren's brother Daryl took the stand for the prosecution and testified against his brother. Over two hours, he answered questions for both sides, the prosecution presented a receipt to prove Darrell was in Silver Springs, Maryland at the time. Darren claimed that he was with him at the Zephalopoulos' house. Darrell pointed out to the jury that he went to the U.S. Attorney's Office several times and spoke with prosecutors, that he had nothing to hide and that he didn't ask for immunity. And prosecutors said there was no evidence linking Darrell or Stefan to the murders and that Darren was simply lying. A juror, later interviewed by the Washingtonian, said that when articles from the victims were unsealed, they still had the odor of gasoline and char from the fire. The prosecution called more than 60 witnesses during six weeks of testimony, including Darren's former fiance Vanessa and his brother-in-law Godfrey, who testified against Darren. Darren took the stand in his own defense, but it didn't sway the jury. They found him guilty on all 20 counts. He was sentenced to four consecutive life sentences with no possibility of release. Just recently, in January 2021, Darren filed an appeal. At his sentencing hearing, a letter from Salvas's and Amy's daughter, Katerina, was read in court. Referring to her and her sister, she said, We tour cemeteries instead of colleges and searched for the perfect coffins instead of perfect prom dresses. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Joyce McLean. On a hot summer day, 16-year-old Joyce waited for it to cool down and went for an evening jog. But evil was watching. Just as she passed the soccer field and neared the power lines, he pounced. Find out why justice would take almost four decades. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects and fasting studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. 
Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.